Welcome to From the Rookery End. Uh, my name is John. Uh, with me uh, this evening is Jason. Hello there. And uh, first time this season, Jordy. Hello. Um, it is the day after Watford's uh, 1-2 defeat at home against uh, Chelsea. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, the squad and the last couple of weeks. We've run up to the end of the transfer window. Uh, plus, we've talked to two more Watford fans and uh, hope to get more Watford fans on this podcast this season. Firstly, Paul from Denver about his expectations of this even season. Uh, and then Bradley Hayden, who's been on the podcast before from the Watford blog uh, about his meetup he did with Dean Austin. But yesterday, Jason, we, we played Chelsea, a great team, and we lost. That's what I expected to happen. Were you disappointed at the end? Uh, yes, of course. And I think, like everybody else, disappointed because we were winning with 10 minutes to go. We still had a point with three minutes to go. So to, to lose it from, from that position is frustrating. To lose it to a winner from a man who probably shouldn't have been on the pitch for the second week on the trot. Um, or let's say shouldn't have been on the pitch because he should have been sent off in his first game of the season <laughs> yeah. at all is, is even more frustrating. So like everyone else, I think, yes, the answer to that is absolutely frustrated. But the, for me, it, it came down to, I, uh, having seen it at Southampton and gone, there was 20, 25 minutes there where we were really good. I saw... F- 60, I reckon 60 minutes really good and then another 20 minutes where we sort of held on and they were playing a much stronger team after their first couple of subs then they got their goals and then it was a different whole different party altogether but we saw, I saw more progress and more of as, as much Metsari said after the game more of Watford being the team he wants to be for a much longer period of the game What struck me I think um, in the early stages of the game, that we weren't afraid of Chelsea, I don't think. We were attacking more than, obviously we compare it to, to last season, and we definitely seemed to be taking more risks. The goal was a great example of that last season where we were reliant on our two men up front to, to do all the work up front. Here, the, the cross has come in, Dini and Inigalo are being marked out of the game, but Capu's in the box. That that probably wouldn't have happened last season from, from that position. He's free in the box and, and scored the goal, and we're, we're sort of taking more risks because we're not afraid of Chelsea. And to be honest, until Fabregas came on, they, they didn't really cause us too many problems. It was Courtois having to make the saves before that. Again, sort of going back to the first question, just makes it even more frustrating. I'm, I'm getting fed up with this already, John. <laughs> but I, I, th- I think the thing is, there were two mistakes that happened and Chelsea being a team full of quality players capitalise on those mistakes um, they should do that and that sort of for me felt like it wasn't as if we threw the game away from just falling apart which it sort of felt a little bit like at Southampton they really lost an energy in that second half and it felt like a complete bombardment um, but it didn't quite feel the same against there now Geordie um, at the game what, what we don't want, we're doing these weekly podcasts this year and what I don't want these podcasts to be is nitpicking at every single game that happens because we could you, every football fan can do that let's go with the positive first what was your you know you didn't go to the, the Southampton game because you were sunning it in Spain for you what was the, what was the positive that you took from, from the game against Chelsea the fact that we're Watford and we're playing against Chelsea and we, we lose harshly and we're disappointed you know I think, I think that's there's sometimes we used to I th- we played against him a couple of years ago, didn't we? And Helgerson was the only he was a standout player. And I felt last yesterday we, we missed Helgerson because <laughs> last time we played Chelsea, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a game that you can remember, we were weakened them across the pitch. But up front we had like this uh, battering ram that kind of gave Neil Sullivan. I think pretty having nightmares now. Uh, <laughs> whereas this 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 time round, I felt that maybe we, that's what we lacked: the presence up front. 
Um, and that's where, that's where we know we've got players who can deliver. So if, if you're looking at uh, new systems and new players and things aren't working out and you've never seen them before, maybe feel a little bit concerned that they'll never work or there's a lot of work to do. I think, arguably, we were weakest up front. And that's somewhere we know we're really strong. So Weak in what way, do you think? Weak physically, I think we imposed ourselves on them. But we did well, uh, you know, as, we, as we said, for 60-odd minutes, and we were doing very well. And we, and we, gave, the, we gave the game away. Um, you, know, we talked, you talked about errors. I think watching it back on Match of the Day yesterday, actually, they were, they were, it, at the time, I felt you know, the throw-in was a mistake. Um, and then Guadura made a mistake, and that was it. But actually, looking at the goals again, Gomez should have done better. Uh, I thought so at the time, but sometimes it's hard to tell uh, from the angles in the stadium. Mishi, I'm going to call him because I'm not going to try and say his last name <laughs> until, I've, until I've practiced it at least a couple of times. He scored the rebound, but uh, he was onside because Cathcart was falling in Costa, who was offside. So again, that's, that was just unfortunate. But some again, things you don't pick up during the game. So that's two things that had they, if Gomez had pushed a bit further away, or if Cathcart had kept his line, or if it had come out to Costa, it wouldn't have been a goal. Well, it probably would have been because he would have allowed it. The, the ref, <laughs> referee yesterday. Um, and then, and then Guedura's pass, again, should have gone out wide time about, I think it was. Gave it to uh, Dukure, who kind of got bustled off it. Probably wasn't expecting it. Uh, it wasn't a great pass anyway. But then uh, Fabregas' pass is great. Everyone's you know, waxing lyrical about this great pass he did. Costa was on the halfway line, just inside our half, which is why he was onside, up against two defenders. So you've got Costa's got to control the ball, run with it 50 yards with the ball at his feet, and he's got two defenders who can position themselves they can talk to each other uh, to position themselves in a way that, that can't happen. So that was, uh, that. yes, Guadura made the mistake, but the defence, the Cathcart and um, Prodal should have done better. Last week, we saw that Watson managed to actually get within touching distance of a player escaping. <laughs> they didn't even manage that. And then I made, it was a great finish uh, right by Gomez's feet. Again, you might look at Gomez again, but I think that was, for me, although Guadura was the obvious culprit of that goal, looking at it again, I think it was the defenders. So from the mistakes point of view, I think there are things that can be rectified and things that won't happen again. Yeah, and I think they're, they're sort of mistakes in some ways that you say how they're talking to each other in their new positions at the back is uh, just playing with each other maybe a little bit more early in the season. They're not, let's get rid of them. They're that bad mistakes, which is a nice place to be. Um, some criticisms, other criticisms that came out, Jason, was about uh, when he made the substitutions. Do you have a problem with who he made the substitutions for and when he made them? Mm, yes and no. Um, I think the substitutions were the right ones. Certainly, Holobas taking him off, bringing Zinniger on was was a good substitution. Um, Holobas again had worked hard all game, and he's no spring chicken, so he probably was a bit uh, tired by that stage. Fidra came on. Was it two-one down? Yeah. My my memory's fading. Um, so that was a more of a game chaser. I just wonder if he could have brought him on earlier. We've already said that the, the front two were, were struggling a bit. Now and, we, and we've also said that John Terry is an excellent defender. He is still an excellent defender. And that partnership with Gary Cahill is probably one of the best in the Premier League still. Um, having said that, we were 1-0 up, as I said earlier, with 10 minutes to go. So Chelsea would have been pushing and, and chasing the game a bit. So why not bring on a Vidra to try and exploit any space behind the, the Chelsea defence? Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he have done it? Yeah. Probably because we were winning 1-0 with the 11 players he had on the pitch. Um, what Deeney had been doing um, until he got booked was chasing back and harrying and doing defensive duties well. Probably didn't dive into as many tackles after he got his yellow card, but he was still doing that work. So you wonder then if... 
if he was keeping that those two on for their defensive abilities and the hard work they were putting in rather than putting on a player who wouldn't carry out that role, who would just be there for a for a quick break. But when you've got 10 other players on the pitch that can do that job, why not? Why not have a go? We talked about the team taking more risks and being more attacking, not being scared of Chelsea. So why, so why not continue to not be scared? The big problem was Fabregas when Fabregas came on. And I think perhaps we did become a bit scared of Chelsea once he was on the pitch. And obviously, Geordie's already mentioned the great ball. And for all the mistakes that we made during that, it was still a great, great pass that, that set Costa away. I don't know, perhaps we needed to make a quicker change to try and deal with the threat that he brought because there really was no threat from Chelsea until, until he was on the pitch. I think there were opportunities to make changes last, yeah, yesterday. Um, but... It's the, it's the unfortunate situation when you're a manager is that you're the only one whose decision counts. There's lots of people in the stadium uh, and watching it um, via alternative methods uh, online who can be wise after the event and say, well, you should have changed it. Now, had Matsari changed it on 75 minutes and we'd gone more defensive, which he could justify based on Chelsea basically throwing a kitchen sink at us and him having an Italian passport. <laughs> uh, and therefore, it's uh, reverted to type. And then we'd still lost because we'd invited pressure onto us. People would have said, well, why did you do that? You know, Chelsea were, they were kind of getting desperate. You know, we, we, we lost because Chelsea took, took risks against us um, and, the, and the coin came down on their side. Uh, it, it could have gone all t- it could have gone the other way. You know, Costa could have got sent off. Uh, you know, they might not have got that goal, the first goal, and obviously without the first goal, the second goal wouldn't have come, but they may have got more fraught and we could have hit them on a counter-attack. Lots of things could have happened. There's only one reality, and that's Walters or Valters. Uh, and I think it's, I wouldn't want to start hitting him with a stick saying you should have brought Vidra on, you should have done this or the other, because he, he's, his tactics have been spot on. And, and, and then we made a couple of mistakes, but that's football. And it was Chelsea chuck it, bringing on a World Cup winner, uh, you know, bringing on uh, Mishi, I'm not saying his name again, uh, uh, people like that, you know, and, and Victor Moses, which, you know, I think if I was Fabregas, I'd be disappointed about being on the bench, but I'd probably be a bit more disappointed that Victor Moses came on before me. <laughs> Podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. What's the date today, Jace? 20th? 21st. 21st. It's the 21st of August, uh, and there are about 10 days left of the transfer window, something like that. Watford have done some big business this week, breaking our record, bringing in Roberto. How are we saying this one then, uh, Jordi? Pereira. Pereira. Good on you. And also Jonas uh, Kabul. Uh, from Sunderland, so one centre-back and one creative midfielder, we're told. And it's starting to look like a settled Watford squad, where we're not going to have huge ins and outs. That um, We've done, uh, actually, we, we adapted the Denver Hornets, uh, Paul, Jeff and Kent, sat down one evening in a bar in Denver and did a depth chart. Now, a depth chart, if you're not sure where, if it's a bit of an American football thing, where you get each position and you name all the players who are in the depth in that, that position and how deep are you. And a good team, of course, has a lot of depth to it. Uh, every position has got a lot of competition for each one. So we've done this for the Watford players. There are goalkeeper, defenders, wingbacks, midfielders and forwards. And we're going to talk about it. If you want to uh, want to uh, watch along, then do go to fromtherookin.com. Find the uh, episode 7.4 episode page, which is under podcasts. And you can sort of see it and, and you, you, you can talk about it uh, or listen to what we talk about. And then uh, send us an email if there's anything particularly you want to talk about. Um, we did get, I did get some comments via um, Twitter because we put this out early today before we start recording. So it breaks down to under-21s, of which we have two, plus the uh, two that have come in 
Um, and we, they're unlimited. We've got all the people who were former under-18s who are now part of under-21, under-23 uh, team. They're all free. They don't count to the, the 25 we have to do. We can technically have as many homegrown players as we like. Currently, we have seven, which does include Tommy Hoban and Sean Murray. The limit we have is foreign players, where we're only allowed 17. Just make sure everyone knows the rules. Um, so, for goalkeepers, we currently have four. Uh, Gil Martin, Gomez, Pantilimon and Arlauskis. Now, I think we all agree that if we're going to lose one of those, we lose Arlauskis because Gil Martin doesn't count and they were not competition. Agreed? Agreed. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, then we come to defenders. And what I mean defenders, this is I've worked in this one in the, the, the 3-5-2. So, we have got Tommy Hoban, uh, who was on the bench yesterday, Craig Cathcart, both come down on our home growing. But then we have Britos, Kawasele, Kabul and Prudel. The player of the defender we're losing, Geordie, is Neom. Now, are you happy with that, leaving him out? I guess, if anything, I'm more dissatisfied about him being a centre-back because if we're not putting him in the wing-back column, uh, he kind of straddles both for me. But can he play wing-back, do you feel? Um, I'd, I, yeah, I think he probably could play wing-back. Um, he was a right, right, mid, right, right back yeah. um, and he can probably play centre-back too, but neither, I think he's, he's neither a wing-back nor a centre-back. He's a right-back. Um, either that's where he played last season, that's where he impressed us, and certainly in the first half of last season. I guess, I guess he, he could, by not being either, he could double as both, so he'd be a, a utility player. We gave him a big contract. Um, again, we, we've been known to do that, and then uh, yeah. ship him out, so maybe Reading are sniffing around him, uh, <laughs> offering us like £5 million pounds to loan him or something <laughs> like that, and, and uh, you know, £30 million pound if they go up. I, th- I, th- I think... Uh, but out of those ones, the players we've got there... Yeah, I, th- I think if you look at um, Prodel uh, and Kabul are probably like for like in the, in the, the kind of big guys. Uh, Hoban and Britos maybe the left hand side. Cathcart um, and Cabaselli. I've not seen Cabaselli play that much, um, but uh, I guess he would be the other one, which would leave Neon vulnerable. I guess simply through elimination more than anything yeah. else. But that's what I like about it. Making these and who you can get rid of in terms of depth. There are six defenders there. Do you need seven? No. And who are you going to drop out of that? Especially we're going to be playing three-five-two. Um, it's clearly you got to say, well, probably Neon. I guess my only fear is um, with playing three-five-two is, of course, last season we were going to play four-three-three, and things change. And so obviously, you know, uh, maybe Valters had more time to think about it. But who knows what we'll be playing in December? The wing-backs, Jason, Anya comes down as home-grown uh, with Holobas, Zuniga and Bryce. Technically, I suppose, we've, we've got Amrabat in the midfielder column, but he could straddle both. Um, does that feel strong enough for you? Because the player we left out was Paredes. Uh, and we did get some quite interesting comments, shall we say, on our Twitter feed. When the whole idea about would, would he stay, well, the comments included uh, some Steve Temple. Uh, I'll keep Paredes. I suspect he offers more as a wing-back than Nyom uh, does as a defender or a wing-back. That's one point. Uh, then Danny Seabrook. Uh, Paredes is nowhere near Premier League. And thanks to Dan Cohen, I'd put my grandma in ahead of Paredes. Now that, is that a bit harsh or, or, or is he the man you would leave out of that team? I'd, I think he's definitely the man I'd leave out of that team. Um, it's funny, I mean, going back to the Neom argument, when we were praising him last season, one of the big highlights of his play was the way he was marauding unexpectedly down the wing. And you'd think that that absolutely nailed on for a, a wing-back slot. 
on that basis. The problem is he's not been playing well since the turn of the year, really. And that poor form that he had at right back at the end of last season has continued into some of the performances we've seen in the friendlies at centre-back this season. And I think that, for me, is why he'd be the man we are leaving out of the squad. Um, and I don't think there's a there's a question of a choice between the two. I mean, they're both not good enough to, to make the 25-man uh, the squad as it stands. There are players better there, albeit we're yet to see much of Zuniga and we won't see anything from, from JJJ for quite some time and that's the one argument I suppose about keeping Paredes or having part of the 25 or the 17 foreigners is because if the JJ's injury is going to be for much longer then you say well we want to have some sort of we want the depth so if they don't name him in the squad then you keep Paredes around for utility usage um, the midfield is where we get we got to say I've, I've put Amrabat in there at the moment because I think that's his natural position but what he is showing which is definitely worth talking about, is his desire to, 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 to play in a different role as he did yesterday and at Southampton. I think what, um, what helps Amrabat is that what we saw of him last year is he's quite solid. He's not afraid to get stuck in. So we were playing him as an, as an attacking force, I say in inverted commas, uh, last season. Um, but he was putting himself about a bit and getting stuck in probably gave away too many silly fouls. Um, getting stuck in when he didn't need to, giving away challenges when defenders were already under pressure. Uh, but perhaps that's going to be a, a quality. Uh, if he if he is going to get stuck in and put some good tackles in, then maybe that that suits him. That wing back role will suit him because he's got that in his locker. He really showed off. I think yesterday. You, you, I think you said uh, Jordan was your man of the match. Yeah, he was. Um, probably in part due to the surprise how well he did. Um, but he's definitely he definitely played uh, very well. Um, and, and you know it's, it can be quite a, a difficult position to play because you, you're neither here nor there uh, and it depends on where the game is uh, and obviously the ball can be kicked faster than you can run and suddenly you can look really out of position um, and he, I think he's getting covered by Cathcart quite a bit um, and he linked up nicely with Guadura who you know had a bit of a hit and miss game uh, I think the nice thing about Amrabat is um, probably since Nigel Callaghan we haven't had someone who can get down the right hand side and put in a great cross you know we've had players who can get there and we've had players who can cross but not players who can get there and cross uh, and and you know it's, it's proved proved it's worth in waiting gold with Kapu scoring um, a couple of goals from from crosses from Amrabat and I think I think if that's a feature of our game to, to be slightly wider uh, and get crosses in for centre forwards then I think Amrabat's certainly, certainly done himself a favour certainly in the last two games I think Darren Basie's going to be on the phone to you, Julie, because I'd, I'd have him in the, uh, in, the, in the bracket of being able to run down the wing and cross the ball. Okay. Uh, top flight. The talk was that he was going to be going out, um, and there was an article today even um, from WD Sport about him pushing himself back into the squad. Now, if you look at this, our little rundown of the maximum 17 foreigners that we are allowed and you get rid of Arlauskis, Neom and Paredes then he's in and actually he's allowed you to, to play at wing back and actually he allows you to play at the, the, the position we thought we were originally buying from is to be that man behind the front two I think the only concern is if that chap's grandmother's homegrown or not because <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that could push Amrabat out yeah, maybe Dan will get in touch um, up front the bit for, we talked about a lot about Vigil last week um, he he does make our seventeen because in that the the five we've got the depth for five uh, in terms of 
players in the chart we've got uh, Success Sinclair Dini uh, who come under freebies for the for the 25 in Success and Sinclair Dini's home growing and uh, Igalo and Vidra now for me especially for this first spell of the season Success and Sinclair are still very young and still inexperienced and they will need to be coming off the bench Dini and Igalo haven't been pulling up trees at all um, these first two games and definitely had a quiet end of year last year we need some experienced and the only reason I would at this point take Vidra out is if we signed another striker and it wasn't a young striker it was a very well experienced striker but we know how expensive they can be as you're looking at that squad of 25 if that was our squad and we come back after the international break are you worried? Are you happy? What are you liking? What are you not liking? Jason? I think, I, I think I'd like that. I think it's a balanced squad. We, we talked about last week about the possibility of Kennedy coming in and I like the idea of that just to give us more options in the wing-back department. We talked about Amrabat having a good go at fitting in there. Um, but if JJ is, is injured for a while, Anya's in there as a homegrown, but... We've we've had our doubts about Anya from time to time. Hala Bass, I've said countless times already. I think he's going to be important to us, but we need we need something else there. I think, and I think Kennedy could be that that option. Other than that, I think it is a very well balanced squad. I think the fact that we've got five strikers is is a good thing. Um, four is probably normally enough for, for most Premier League sides. So to have something a little bit extra there, I, I like that. We know we're packing the midfield out and we've got plenty of options in midfield of different types of, uh, of quality. So we've got the, the Watsons and the Baramis through to, uh, I'm not even going to attempt to say Pereira as good as you did, Geordie. Um, and when he's got his game on, Gediora, because we know he is capable of, of, uh, of good things, just not this weekend. And the players in between that will sort of do box to box for you. So I don't, a lot of centre-backs, we're playing three at the back. We've got international centre-backs sort of right across the board, even counting sort of Tommy Hoban in that because he's played a little bit of international football and he, I think, somewhere along the line. Um, so, yeah, I like, I like the balance of that squad um, and I would be happy with that come September. A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the rookery end. What's going to happen this season? We have dreams. We have ideas. We're not quite sure. Um, Paul from Denver, from the Denver Hornets, was over for the Southampton and the Chelsea game. Um, uh, lovely catching up with him. And uh, he, I spoke to him before the game yesterday about where he thinks Watford might end up this season. Paul, so where Watford going to finish this season? 14th. How many points? 44. That seems like quite a well thought out, precise number. How did you get to that precise numbers? Well, you know, I like a little bit of statistical analysis, John. <laughs> um, so I looked, I looked at the, what I thought the final table would look like based on new managers, strength of squad, dealings in the transfer market and so forth. That's how I got us to about 14th. Uh, then I looked at every game, home and away, uh, teams that I think will finish in the top six or so, based on last season's performance, they will beat us home and away. We expect to beat the teams in the bottom three home and away, and then a mixture of 
home wins and away draws and losses for the rest of the games, which got me to 44 points. Okay, that sounds good. And I quite like that. And I like your rationale behind it. Um, so we, we were on our way to the Chelsea game. How many points should we, should we be on so far? Or what, what points should we be on at the end of this Chelsea game, according to your precise planning? Well, my greatest fear for the season was that we would get zero points from the first five games. Yeah. Um, and I'm very, very pleased that we picked up that excellent point on the road at, uh, at Southampton last week. The big concern was after those first five games, there are, I think, four, the next four games are games that we should look to win. So uh, somehow the coaching team needs to keep the morale uh, and of the squad high to, to, to go into those games so we can actually get some points on the board. The thing is, though, we've got to think about... There's two things in my head. The one thing we're going to be obsessed with is is getting past 40 points because that's safety and that's security. And and, and we'll, we'll keep, all keep saying it and we'll all keep aiming for it. But I want to sort of go beyond that a little bit. Do you think your mid-table finish, is it ambitious enough? If you look at what happened to Kike, you would think that the ownership of the club is expecting a little bit more. You look at the teams around us and above us and the investments that they are making in... In the, in the transfer market and, and even with the, the signings we've seen in the last few days you know we're still buying players for rumoured to be around 13 million I think yeah. and, and uh, Palace just bought Benteke for I think 27 million so for us to improve uh, I'd expect us to see more more arrivals like Pereira if that's how we say his name uh, otherwise we're down to the brilliance of coaching and bringing out the best in the players that we're getting as, as apparent bargains so because what was the difference then between where we finished last year? That I, I'm, I don't have a table in front of me, but I'm assuming three more wins than last year would get us pretty close to Europe, wouldn't it? Uh, maybe it would, but where are the, that you're, you're trying to convert three losses into three wins. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Which three losses are you going to convert? Uh, oh, uh, I'm sure we, we can... We can we, Liverpool? Yeah, I'm not saying it's that, but the, 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 the jump up... Yes, is absolutely could be huge because you've got to beat Liverpool away, Arsenal away. You know, there's some big teams that you would have to therefore, you know, convert. But I'm not saying we have to beat them 3-0. And actually three more games to get high, like a lot higher up the league. What I want, to, want you to, to say yes or no to is, is it possible? Well, of course, anything's possible, but I think I think the investment that you need to make to get that kind of return. I think it, you know the Olympics are on at the moment, and it's like if you if you're a ten second guy for for the hundred meters, how do you get to nine point nine, or how do you get to nine point eight? The the amount of training and effort you need to put in to make what appears to be a small marginal improvement is actually huge, and I think that that's the the place that that we are at the moment. I expect this season to be about consolidation, maybe some minor improvement, but for us to to, to go into the European places. I think you know that requires a step change and that probably requires even bigger investments in even better players and, and maybe we have the coach to do it now, but I, I don't know that we're there for this season. We'll see. There's still a couple of weeks to run in the transfers. Uh, All right, let's think about this. So imagine we, 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 we did get into the European place or really close to it, where we where at least the last couple of games of the season we're thinking, oh, maybe, oh, maybe. We didn't actually get there in the end, but we were close to it. Would you prefer to get there through uh, good play of beautiful football, of lots of goals, but maybe some some goals being let in, or would you like some solid, boring performances? Which would be more comfortable with you? 
Um, I think I'd prefer to see lots of goals and lots of attacking football. What I think we're more likely to see is a defence first, let's keep it tight and try and win games by the single goal. First hand game of the season, we can sit here for as long as we like predicting what might happen and where and when. But I think you've definitely come up with uh, where, where what position again, finishing, finishing position is going to be? 14th. And points? 44. Let's, let's go with that. All right, sounds good. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! It seems a rational um, way of coming up with that, uh, those results. Jason, do you, do you think? Um, I, I think so. It's quite methodical and logical. And I, I, I do do sort of a, a similar thing at the start of every season. I always look back at how we did against the teams the season before. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because these, these five games we said along are going to be really, really tough the start of the season um, and if we make that comparison we've actually reached our expectations already <laughs> because against Southampton away and uh, Chelsea at home uh, Arsenal at home West Ham away Man United at home we managed one point across those games in the whole of last season at home to Chelsea um, and we've hit that point already at Southampton so anything we get in the last three games the next three games is a bonus a Brucey bonus <laughs> It's how you deal with your expectations and know that everything's all right or everything isn't all right. It's one of those things you have to do as football fans. Um, another football fan, a Watford fan who we've got the podcast, uh, he's been on before, is Bradley Hayden, who uh, writes on Watford, uh, Watford FC blog. Um, he has, uh, he's a, a young lad trying to become a journalist and he got in touch with Dean Austin uh, and he actually, what former Watford uh, coach who left over the summer when Kike left, uh, Dean Austin, and I cut up with Bradley to find out a bit more about the interview. Bradley, you met up with uh, Dean Austin this week. How did, how did that come about? Well, I've been talking to Dean for a while, actually, as well as running Watford FC blog. I also write for a website called careersinfootball.com. So I've been speaking to Dean for about a month or two, and one moment it looked like it wasn't going to go ahead, and then suddenly... Out the blue, he sent me a message and said, "Yeah, I'm in Watford. Do you fancy meeting and having a doing this interview?" So I said, "Sure." So what were the, what were the highlights of what he, what he told you? What were the standout bits? He said that the highlight of his career is was Brighton away when we won promotion, and it was just great to hear how passionate he was about that day and how much of a highlight it was to the players and the coaching staff and what it meant to him as well because before coming to Watford as coach maybe people have forgotten about him slightly so when he came back to Watford and obviously he did really well with, with Savisha it was obviously a really really big thing for him and the club as well because we've been out in the Premier League for so long and it was it was such a hard slog that season uh, another another good point was um, his time with Kike Sanchez Flores he said Kike was, was really, really such a nice bloke and he was how he appeared in in his interviews and in his press conferences was a really, really sincere guy and just like any other normal person really. So Dean's a really nice guy and he's, he's actually um, actually said he'll be coming back to Watford this year because uh, his, his son's got season tickets here so you might, you might even see in about some of the games this season. The, the point where he came into the club was halfway through that, uh, was now referred to as the promotion season. The club had been looking at getting in a, uh, a British or English coach for a while and Billy McKinley was originally brought in to be a coach but then stepped up for about two days and then, and, and then disappeared. Do you feel that was a, a major part of the promotion, the fact that Dean just brought that Britishness to, to the coaching and management of the team? Yeah, I do. I think, I think Dean certainly played a part in that promotion season. 
And I would also say the signings of Ben Watson was, was also another key point. So I think Slavica Djukanovic, those first couple of months, we were kind of quite inconsistent. We had a few good wins, a few, few disappointing defeats. In that January, we just lost to Huddersfield, really disappointing. And there was obviously that key quote from Djokanovic. He was like, if any, if any, of, my, any of my Watford players think they're stars and they're not. I think the introduction of Dean was really good. And it was quite a big impact, really, I think, because a lot of our squad was, was foreign. And there's, there's nothing up with that. And Djokanovic, it was his, although he played in England as a player, he'd not necessarily managed, managed in England before. So I think... An English coach would have helped Slavisha with the schedule and getting, noted, getting to know the championship and how difficult it is. But think about that now, though. He left at the end of the list last season. Kike kept him on. Uh, Walters has said, you know, he didn't need him as part of his team. Do you think what seemed to be a vital cog for us to get promoted? Do you think it was important? It's important that we we find someone similar to him with his, his Britishness uh, for for the Premier League, or is that? It's not important anymore. I think it might be something to look at because obviously in England, Matt Sari hasn't coached in England before, and although he's made a good start, we're playing well at the minute against Chelsea. I think, I think that that sort of English touch would help him because uh, managing in England is a different experience to, to Italy. But an English coach would help the, the schedule, uh, the Christmas period as well. He might not have played over Christmas in Italy, so that would obviously be a new experience for him. And an English coach maybe would be an idea to explore. But it might, now we're in the Premier League and we're kind of established. It might not be something that we should be looking at to get in straight away. It might, it might be something to look at maybe in a couple of months down the way, or maybe Walter says or might be a good idea to have a, maybe an English coach with me to help out. Let's assess it after a couple of months down the line and see what it's like. Jordy, are you particularly worried that there isn't a British coach um, and only seven British players in the, uh, the Watford setup? No, I think uh, a British coach would probably struggle to communicate. <laughs> with, uh, no, I, I wouldn't want us to have a coach just based on uh, nationality. Uh, I, I think we want quality. I think the Premier League isn't um, an English league in, in, in the way maybe the, it was at the start of the Premier League or was in the 80s when we were growing up where Scotsmen and Welshmen and Irishmen were considered foreigners. I think now it's an international league, everyone knows how it works. I think we've got someone like Troy in the dressing room who can kind of, and we've got you know, Gomez, he's a Brazilian, does he know less about English football than, a, another, no, than Harry Kuehl who's been here this long? I don't, th- I don't think we need a, I don't think we should be um, doing it on passports. Maybe post-Brexit we might need to, uh, <laughs> if that ever happens. But uh, for me, I, I think it's, just, it's not a problem. I don't even mind that Walter has a translator, you know. I'm sure he can make himself known in the, in the confines of a dressing room where he's not going to get picked apart uh, uh, by the public. Uh, and quite frankly, that's where I want him to do his, do his work. Particularly though, Dean Austin, Jason, the fact that Dean left um, had been part of what's some, you know, you, 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 when you correlate between when he arrived and when Watford's um, up in that promotion season, the fact that he's, he left, would you like to have kept him around? It's an interesting point, and I think it would have been nice to have seen Dean Austin stay, not because he's a British coach, but the fact that he was definitely very passionate about Watford and enthused about Watford you could see that from his uh, from his Twitter account and I'm sure that's not just him sort of playing the media game they, they definitely seem to be because he's a, a local lad as well I think he definitely felt uh, a connection with the Hornets and there was something more 
about his link with the club than just working at any other football club. So it's a little bit of a shame to see him go from that point of view. But I completely agree with Geordie. There's no need, I think, to have an English coach in particular or a British coach in particular to to get the level of success that you need um, as as a club like Watford in the Premier League. The world is a is a small place. Football is a global game. We can't be xenophobic. Is probably the the wrong the wrong word, but small islands mentality no I think I don't think there's a place for it in the Premier League Okay, well this has been the uh, the second uh, weekly podcast uh, from the recurrent uh, in this Premier League season uh, thank you very much for listening uh, thank you very much uh, if you subscribe our iTunes please do and if you fancy you can leave a review they can do that it's quite nice um, remember you can follow us uh, on all the social media just find Watford Podcast uh, and we love you guys getting involved and if you ever have something you would think you want to talk about anything you've noticed then do get in touch and we'll do our best to get you on the podcast thank you very much to Bradley thank you very much to Paul thank you Jason thank you thank you Jordy thank you and come on you all's